and welcome to Novak Now. I'm Jake Novak here on the Nachum Siegel Network, and I'm a little bit loopy <laughs> right now uh, because uh, I have just come back from spending 29 hours. That's right. That's not, you didn't mishear it, 29 hours in Israel. So about 24 hours of flying when you count all the waiting at the gate and things like that because two 11-hour flights and then the extra couple hours there. And then for 29 hours in Israel. Um and I did all that because, as you know, uh, the elections in Israel are on Tuesday. And I'm working now uh, for a number of organizations, but one of the organizations I work for is I-24 News, which you can catch on cable if you have cable vision, which they used to call cable vision. It's now called Altice. It's available uh, on, uh, for those of you who are from that part, of, you know, from this part of the country that have Altice cable. But it's also on Comcast and a lot of other uh, cable systems. And anyway, I-24 News gets a call on Friday morning, uh, <laughs> and probably Thursday night Israel, uh, Thursday, but I get the call on Friday morning, you need to get to JFK right away, you're flying in for an interview with, uh, to produce an interview uh, with uh, the Prime Minister, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, at the Prime Minister's residence, uh, and um, you got to bring, you know, the anchor woman Michelle McCory, who's the anchor woman I work with, we got to put together, not only get there and get ready to go, but also prepare the questions and prepare all the production stuff. So, obviously, exciting news for us, especially as a channel. We're trying to get more uh, national, international prominence, and getting an interview with Netanyahu in his office certainly qualifies. And so we're off. We're off and running for what we knew would be a quick turnaround. Uh, the interview was on Sunday evening at the Prime Minister's residence, and I'm going to go through a little bit of the logistics there just for the, because I know so many of the people listening here are either living in Israel or are very well versed in Israeli stuff, but maybe probably don't know some of the ins and outs of how it works at the prime minister's office. That's not something even the average Israeli knows. And what it's like to produce interviews like this and how it looks, you know, everyone with the, with the cell phone camera these days, the cell phone video camera these days, you know, can produce a video. And, and by the way, I think I'm one of the only established journalists. I've been in television news for 25 years, and I'm the only established journalist that I know of who is really fine with all the citizen average Joe journalists out there with their iPhone cameras and videos presenting news or, or capturing events like that. I know it scares the heck out of a lot of traditional media people, and, and I get it. But I think it's great because I think it it, it reinforces the industry. In other words... The only people, if you're not going to be successful selling anything, if you say to yourself, well, okay, I'm going to sell something, but only a couple of people can sell it. And that's a great way to kill your industry in the short run, short run especially, but even in the long run, it can kill your industry. And a lot of you might be saying, well, there are some industries I don't want everyone selling me to. For example, I don't want medical care given to me by just anybody. But wait a minute, think about that for just a second. No, we don't want just anybody to be a surgeon and cut us open, but we certainly want more people to be trained as good surgeons. Don't we want that? And we certainly don't mind having more of the elements of healthcare being offered from a number of different sources. So I consider, for example, someone who sells good walking shoes. I mean, that's good healthcare when you think about it. If people are going to use them, <laughs> you know, a good pair of walking sneakers, not just a pair of running sneakers. I mean, that's good too. So my point is, the more people who are contributing to an industry, including journalism, the better it is for the whole idea of journalism. And yes, that means a lot of junk's going to get out there. But in my opinion, it's only going to make it clear who isn't 
producing junk. And so far, in my opinion, you've heard me say this many times here on the Novak Now Show here on the Knock'em Siegel Network. So far, I don't think enough of the established news media has cleaned up its act enough, has done enough to show that it's better than the average citizen journalist out there. But I do think that that time will come. We're going to see more and more networks and more and more people with a little bit more means than your average person out there who have the money and the and the and their infrastructure who will now work to do a better bring out a better product. So far though, I think too much of the established media that has a lot of the money is pushing back and trying to pretend the last 20 years haven't happened as far as technology is concerned. And they're hoping that everyone will just sit down and watch a straight hour's worth of whatever biased or not really great news programs they have. That has to change, and I think, I think it will change someday. And it's changing in some ways already. But the point is, I like the idea of people contributing to a network. That said, when you're doing an interview, especially with a prime minister or a head of state, you can't just go in there with even an hour's worth of preparation. You need many hours of preparation. And then you need to be ready for the inevitable bumps along the road. And if you think getting a call that you have to get on a flight at JFK in a couple of hours to get to Israel on time isn't enough of a is just one bump on the road. You're right, but we had many, many more during our 29 whirlwind hours in Israel and then coming back. Um, again, we're, we're, this interview happened because of the election. Uh, obviously, a lot of political leaders don't make themselves as available for media interviews all the time. But in an election, everyone understands that's when they want to get out in front of the voters. We didn't know exactly which group Prime Minister Netanyahu was targeting when, he came, when, when we were able to make this deal for I-24. I-24 News has a license in Israel to broadcast in basically any, any language but Hebrew. Uh, it's still a very restricted media in Israel. So I-24 News has an English language channel in Israel. It has a French language channel in Israel. And it has Arabic programming. There's a couple that has Arabic pro- programming as well. And they have a weekly show in Spanish. So Hebrew is a protected industry. Hebrew broadcasting is a protected industry in Israel. It's hard to get a license to be a channel to broadcast in Hebrew in Israel. But all the other languages there are a little bit more flexible. And this is an, an opening. And for those of you who know a little bit of trivia, Israel, Israel has two official languages. It isn't just Hebrew. Obviously, Hebrew is the predominant language and the, 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 do, the dominant language. But English is also an official language of Israel. Um, some people think it's, you know, they'll guess it's Hebrew and Arabic because we see all the road signs, and then we forget there's English in those road signs, too. So most of the road signs have Hebrew, English, and Arabic in them. But English is, when you look at, for example, maybe just the street signs, a lot of times Arabic's in there also, but there's always English in addition to the Hebrew. So that's really the what we thought. Well, we thought maybe that Netanyahu, President, you know, Prime Minister Netanyahu, was hoping to connect with the English-speaking voters. So that was really our thinking going in, thinking on the flight, thinking when we got to Israel and had a little bit of a production meeting to prepare for this interview. And then we found out really they were focusing on the French-speaking voters. So many of you know that a good percentage, a good number of French citizens have made Aliyah in the last several years. I understand that in the last couple of years it has slowed down, actually, that it was really, really ramping up going, I think, through 2016 or 2017, and that maybe it had to slow down uh, in the last couple of years. But there is a very large uh, and growing, from compared to 30 years ago or so, French Jewish community now living in Israel, and they still speak predominantly French, especially those who didn't come in with a lot of good Hebrew proficiency. 
And, and this is important, they tend to vote about 90% of them. I mean, really, I mean, everyone gave me this number. Everyone said 90% to me when I was asking around. They all said about 90% of the French Jews who live in Israel vote for Likud. And the reason that this interview was important for Netanyahu is turnout has become, as it is in most elections, but in this election it is really important, turnout has become a really big issue in this election. Now, again, for those of you who don't know, in Israel, turnout is much higher than it is in the United States. Much higher. They get turnout in the 70%, you know, between 70 and 80% in every election. And I mean 70 and 80% of basically the population, not just of registered voters. So that beats the heck out of the United States. And, and, Israel's election day, as, as we're learning very, the hard way here at I-24 News, and for me, is... Election Day is a holiday in Israel, is a work holiday in Israel, which I think is a great idea, and I, I think that it should be uh, a, a day off in the United States also, and, and, and I'll, I'll explain the logic behind that from a conservative point of view. I know a lot of, you've heard a lot of liberal groups say they want Election Day in America to be a, a day off of work, and conservatives usually push back on that, and I'm going to explain why they shouldn't uh, in a few minutes. But it's a, but in Israel, it is a holiday. Even though it happens to be this year on Tuesday, it's it's usually on a on a weekday in Israel. Obviously, they don't usually have a, they would not have an election on Shabbat, and I don't remember too many elections on Sundays. Although I do think there have been some election days in Israel that have been on Sundays. But the point is, is that they it's usually on a work day, what otherwise would be a work day, but they make it into a national holiday, so they have very high turnout. But it still could really it's always the elections are always you know, almost always very close in Israel. So Prime Minister Netanyahu needs those French speaking Jews to come out to the polls. Because if they do, uh, you know, about nine out of 10 of them are going to vote for him and hope vote for Likud. So he really needs that. And in the last 48 hours, the re- before the, the voting starts, the real push, the real f- fear among the Likud and for Prime Minister Netanyahu, who has been Prime Minister for 10 straight years and 13 overall, if you count his first term from 95 to 98 or so, uh, 96 to 99, the the fear is that there's not going to be enough turnout, that all the reporting has is, is been true about how the right-wing parties in general have a pretty solid lead over the left-wing parties. But, but if the blue and white party led by Benny Gantz and Yair Lapid gets more seats in parliament, let's say they get 31 and Likud gets 28 or 29 or even a bigger margin, and even though they wouldn't have on paper enough parties to join with them at the beginning – the president of Israel, you know, R- R- Rivlin, would be very, very much almost compelled to go to Lapid and uh, Gantz and the Blue and White Party and say, you guys had the first crack at creating a coalition. And then you never know what could happen. Some of these parties that say they're very far right, like Khairut and, uh, you know, Zehut, sorry, the Zehut Party and some of these, and a lot of them might decide, well, we could join with Gantz. We don't disagree with him on everything. And, and and that might be the end for Netanyahu and, Li, and Likud. So that's the fear right now. That's really the, the election math that's going on right now as we get into voting. And that was why this uh, interview happened. But <laughs> Michelle McCory, who, again, the anchorwoman I'm, I'm working with, uh, is the most popular anchorwoman at the entire I-24, all the networks and all the languages. And we're broadcasting out of New York. They have a very big uh, studio in Tel Aviv where most, where most of the broadcasting goes on, but, but about half of the English broadcasting is out of New York. And 
she's the number one anchor woman, and they wanted to have her do it. And Prime Minister Netanyahu's office people were probably were happy with it until they realized, oh, she's not on the French Channel. <laughs> So the logistics of this were incredible. We got to the prime minister's residence on Sunday, late in the afternoon, around four o'clock, uh, oh, five o'clock, I should say. And you're waiting there for five hours. You're waiting for there. In they have a little bit of a courtyard that you wait in. You go through security there. Then they take your phone. You're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting. And, of course, it's election time, so people are coming in and out of there. And a lot of interesting people. I mean, every time the door opened and someone walked out, you're like, well, do I know this guy? Do I know this woman? And some people turned out to be really important and interesting people, all telling us what I just told you, that that, that, that the main concern was about turnout. And they were worried that uh, Rivlin would hand the coalition's first shot to the Blue and White Party. If they get, you know, if they get three or four more seats than Likud, it, it, it's... Not inconceivable that Rivlin would would do this, and then the the chips could fall. Who knows how they could fall with coalition building? So we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting, and we're hearing. Oh, they've decided they only want to talk to the French Channel, and <laughs> Michelle and I are looking at each other like, "Oh my God, we just broke our necks to get to Israel and to be here for one night, and we may not even get into the office." Then we're hearing they don't want to give us as much time. It just goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Finally, what ended up happening is. We got into the prime minister's office a little after, uh, a little before, I'd say, 9 p.m. Israel time, Sunday night. We were able to share the interview. Uh, Michelle was the main anchor woman and the kind of MC of the event. Uh, uh, one of our anchor women from the French channel, Barbara Shearer, who's actually originally from Belgium. She's a Belgian Jew, but obviously they speak French there. She's now living in Israel. And then... Uh, the editor-in-chief of Israel Hayom, which is the number one newspaper in Israel, which is a pro-Likud paper for the most part, was also in on the interview. But that we knew was, go- was going to happen going in. And I have to say, you can watch uh, – I-, I always say at the top of my radio programs to follow me on Twitter and follow me on Facebook. My Twitter handle is at JakeJakeNY. It's two Jakes, at JakeJakeNY. And, of course, you can do Jake Novak, N-O-V-A-K, on Facebook. I have two different pages there. And you'll find clips of the interview posted there. And you can also go to the I-24 News website and find the entire, if you sign up for the the subscription there, which I think is like $5 a month or something very cheap, um, you can see the entire interview. You'll see that it worked pretty well. I mean, we as you know, as a, if you're field producing an, a, a, a event like that, an interview like that, as I was, uh, you just, you can't understand how many potential bumps in the road hit you. Um, as you heard, uh, we were waiting outside there for hours and, and things keep changing, whether or not we're even going to get into the room. In my case, if I'm going to get into the room or not, keeps changing. Um, I don't know how we're going to juggle this with three people asking questions. And we, we basically figured out a code and a, and a way for us to sort of communicate with each other. I was the only one who was in Michelle's eyeline other than Prime Minister Netanyahu. They allowed me to stand right next to him, basically on a side with some cards giving her time cues and things like that. Uh, I'm not on camera, so they framed it really, really nicely. But there I am kind of like breathing on Benjamin Netanyahu's neck while giving cues to something. I mean, these are the kinds of things that you have to be willing to do uh, when you're producing television. And, of course, we needed to have two cameras. You know, when you see the two cameras, when someone's doing an interview and you see the interviewer and they go back to the interviewee, it isn't editing all the time, especially if it's going live. It, you need two cameras. 
<laughs> you can't just say stop for a second. Stop asking. Okay, I asked my question. Now let's turn around and, and have the prime minister sit in your chair or move the camera. You can't do that. So um, tremendous kudos, tremendous yashikoch to the entire technical crew that came with us that had to wait the same four and a half hours that we did, some a little bit outside, some a little bit inside, uh, never knowing when we would get the call to do the interview. And there were two amazing things they did. First off, just a little bit of a pro tip. They got all of their cameras and all their lights on the tripods. As we say in the field, they got them all on the sticks. So they weren't fully adjusted and fully extended to the height because they didn't know how high they need to be put to get the, the shot in frame because they didn't even know where we were going. By the way, we didn't know we were going into the prime minister's office. For all we know, he could have come out on the patio. There's a little patio area at the prime minister's residence, and that could have been where the interview was going to happen. We, never knew, we didn't know until the last minute. Um, but so they got, not only did they get all their cameras on the sticks and, and adjusted and locked into the sticks so that we could move quickly, but something that happens in the field a lot, especially when you have a long shoot, batteries die. You know, you're on battery power. They could just be looking for a plug everywhere. So I'm happy to say not one, I've been in a lot of shoots where batteries die and you got to start again or whatever it is. No batteries died during the interview or before or after, thank God. Uh, they did a great job of managing that. Um, and again, just to get into a little bit more of the nitty gritty, you know, we, we, you go to the prime minister's residence. There is a, obviously a guard gate. We didn't have to drive our little shuttle bus that we use to get all the camera and crew and all the people there into the compound. But we, you wait by the gate after you get out of your vehicle, you walk into, we were there for about a half an hour. Then they walk you to the actual back door of the prime minister's residence where we waited for another hour or so. Um, then you go in two by two, they let you go in and they take your phone and they make, they do a number of other things. Then you wait, we were waiting for about uh, an hour in a room that they use for some press conferences sometimes. Um, and then we moved out into that patio and then we finally got into his office after a total of about four and a half hours wait for what we thought would be a 15 minute interview and we were able to stretch it to 23, 25 minutes. So I was happy about that. Um, so again, it, that interview was precipitated by the fact that the Likud folks are worried about turnout. They really feel that if, there's, that if, if Likud voters are discouraged from turning out or if they vote for some of the other right-wing parties because they believe they've got a, such a comfortable majority anyway, that they're afraid that they're not understanding that if Rivlin goes to, if President Rivlin goes to the blue and white and gives them the first crack at a coalition, even if it only looks like the parties on the left side of the ledger have 52 seats in the 120 seat Knesset. That doesn't mean that a bunch of right-wing parties, including some of the religious parties like United Toward Judaism and Shas, will say to themselves, well, no, they don't, we don't really like a lot of left-wing things, but we're willing to go into a government with labor merits and blue and white because... Rivlin's given them the first shot at it. If we can give, if we can present Rivlin with sixty-one or more seats, we'll be in the government and we'll have positions of power. And blue and white, Gantz and Lapid might give us more than Likud would give us to join their coalition. So why don't we do that? Um, and that is a real fear right now. And especially if blue and white gets more than two seats, more than. Likud, I think that there is a real possibility of that happening, which would be so ironic because, you know, the, the Israeli public has moved so much further to the right since the collapse of the Oslo Agreement. And for any left-leaning government to be elected is so silly, which is why the Blue and White Party has to betray itself as being center-right also. And in most of their policies, they are. But certainly not in their economic policies. I mean, I think that Gantz is considering a former president of the Histadrut, the Israeli labor union, to be his finance minister. And 
Israel's economy continues to get better the more and more it separates itself from its socialist past. Um, I said I was going to explain to you why the New York Bureau of I-24 News has to cover all the live election results in the Israeli election. That's because, as I said earlier, election day in Israel is a day off from work. And I think that's fine. But if you are in the news media, that should, there should be an exemption there. I mean, the news media really has to give, give the, the, uh, the results. But if you are a news media outlet in Israel, a newspaper, a television network, what have you, and you have people working to cover the election, which they will do, you have to pay them twice, not just time and a half, but 200%. You have to double their salary for that day that they're working. So you end up getting television crews and newspapers that either this is a huge expenditure for them, they need to budget for it all the time, or they work with a skeleton crew on the most important, you know, one of the most important stories they're ever going to cover in a four-year cycle or any cycle. It's crazy. It's crazy. So because of that, we're going to be on I twenty four news. We're going to be giving you the live results. Uh, I, I'm I'm pleased as, as heck about it because I like covering election night, so I'm I'm, I'm good with it. But it, we're all looking at each other, wondering why the New York bureau is handling the Israeli story. And obviously, we'll still have reporters live from Israel. Don't get me wrong, but we won't be able to fire up the entire bureau because of that. So it's just one of those things that another example of how some of the socialist customs and socialist rules in Israel have not been completely purged. And, you know, just think about what that does for your economy. You're a media outlet. You're in the media business and you can't, and, and you basically pay a, a 100% tax. You pay a double the tax to, 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 to be, to broadcast and to operate on one of the most important news days of any given four or five year cycle. I and mean, that's crazy. Um, but such is the way it is. And it, it does provide an opportunity for me personally. So that's great. <laughs> but this was the situation. And so we got into the, the room with Prime Minister Netanyahu. And again, I urge you to go onto my social media sites and go onto the i24news.tv, i24news.tv website. It's a, it's a letter I, the number 24 news, all one word, .tv. And you can see the entire interview. There were some interesting points in the interview that, Pre- that Prime Minister Netanyahu made. I've given you a little bit of the perspective of the of the interview from the news media point of view from the people working in the field and the way that i was working but obviously what he says what prime minister Netanyahu says is a little bit more important um he immediately pointed to he had he had at his desk you know he loves his visuals he had at his desk the signed document from president trump recognizing the united states recognizing the sovereignty of the golan heights and he immediately found a way in the first answer to our first question, to turn around and grab that document and show it to the cameras and talk about it. a running theme throughout the interview, as you'll see, as I hope you'll watch it, is something that I have said for many times and written about many times, that Israel and the United States, but especially Israel, get, get things that it needs to get done. It, it, it accomplishes things much better when it is assertive that, rather than when it is conciliatory. Now, that doesn't mean that Israel goes around picking fights with people. I'm not talking about that. But when they do things, and when Israel's allies, especially the United States, do things that make it clear to the Arab world that the Israeli, that Israel's never going anywhere, that they need to deal with Israel, and they can't just hope that one false step or one good move from whoever, whomever we're talking about do, does that, does those things, will change that. So, for example, Egypt basis and, and Anwar Sadat was the, the whole process of the of the Egyptian peace treaty which we can criticize and get into the pros and cons another time but for the most part that has been a beneficial treaty to Israel for many many reasons 
when the Egyptians did that, it was Sadat that it was because the not only did the Israelis win the Yom Kippur War, but they won, you know, very much so because of the United States' help. The United States resupplied the Israeli defense forces and made that victory possible, at least made it possible quicker than it would have happened, than had the Israelis needed to wait for supplies elsewhere for some other timetable. And it wasn't only that they lost the war, it was that the Egyptians saw that the United States would stand with Israel even during that kind of real dire situation where it may have been easier for them to turn their back on, on Israel. Certainly Europe was turning its back on Israel, something that Golda Meir was so infuriated by because she was such a devout socialist that when she met with her fellow socialist leaders in, Israel, in Europe, she, she was hoping that they would give her some kind of explanation for why they abandoned her, and they never did. Um, my, my point is that when the United States does things that make it, makes it clear that they, were, they are really, really supportive of Israel, despite the fact that it gets portrayed in the news media as like, as, oh, you're being too favorable to Israel, and that's going to cause anger in the Arab world, and that's going to cause more violence. Well, it, the opposite happens. What happens is that it, it convinces the Arabs that more violence isn't going to work because the, the Israel has such a stalwart, big, strong ally in the United States. This is why I supported the, the United States' recognition of Jerusalem as Israel's capital and moving the embassy there. It shows to everyone, especially East Jerusalem Arabs, that this is a Jewish state, and you're going to have to deal with it. And if you deal with it nicely, you're going to get a lot out of it. You're going to get more freedom than any Arab country is going to give you. Give you. You're going to get more economic viability than any Arab country is going to give you. You just need to stop killing, killing Jews and stop killing your own people in hopes of making Israel look bad. That's, that's the insanity that, that needs to be pushed back on. So he, he made that point in a number of, uh, of, of answers where he just was fa- he found a way to get into the, the, the argument that he is the one who has been assertive for Israel, that hasn't bowed his head, and that is why things are working out better for him. He made, obviously, as I mentioned before, just to explain, he made a, he made a point about the French Jewish community being being such a great community, but that he doesn't agree with everything that Macron says, and he made a point of saying Macron is a personal friend and he respects him, but he doesn't agree with a lot of his policies. So, uh, again, watch the interview. You'll see a persuasive master. I mean, Benjamin Netanyahu, whether you agree with his policies or not, whether you like him or not, um, I, I can't. I haven't met any fair-minded person who's ever said he wasn't extremely persuasive. He is very persuasive. We had hoped to push back more, in the, and we did push back on him on a number of things, and we, we, we really did get in some good points. But it's, it's hard. It's hard when you're in, on someone else's turf, like his, the prime minister's office, and you've been waiting four and a half hours, and he knows how to be persuasive, and he knows how to talk for a long time with every answer, and in a way that it's interesting, not the boring filibuster-type stuff, the interesting stuff. So, again, watch the interview, and you'll, you'll understand why. I, I, I do want to end with my promised argument, my quick promised argument for why, and I'll, I'll call it a conservative argument, for why in the United States we should make Election Day a holiday. If election days are in November, I'm actually very much in favor of putting them on Saturday. And for those of us who are Shomer Shabbat, remember that Shabbat ends really relatively early on Saturday. So if polls are open until 9 p.m., uh, devout Jews can certainly go vote anyway. And of course, there's always absentee voting uh, that you can do. But I am very much in favor of that for a conservative reason. Uh, yes, I think it may help slightly. Uh, liberal and Democrat candidates during presidential election years. But in all the other years, which is every other year, there's always an election, uh, especially midterm elections, when we don't have a presidential election and turnout is usually much lower, that really favors the Democrats. Because who can get a day off at a moment's notice? Who gets a a regulated day off on election day? Union members. 
and de- usually Democrat, blue-collar Democrat voters, or just Democrats. Whereas white-collar voters and other people who are, might tend to be more Republican don't get the day off. And so that is why there's kind of voter... Even, five, even the 538 blog, which is not conservative or Republican, has mentioned that midterm elections basically are voter suppression against Republicans. So I think that considering that there are elections every year and, we, and only one of them is a presidential election year, I think actually conservatives should be in favor of a Saturday or national holiday election day as well. That's my argument for that. Again, this is Jake Novak. This is the Nachum Siegel Network. I hope to speak to you again next week.